Hello, and welcome to Real Deals Live. I am Nicholas Neveling, and in this program, we will be hearing from asset-based lenders and their advisors about where ABL fits in the current financing landscape. Private equity dealmakers have adjusted to the new normal and continued to close transactions at pace. Lenders have responded in kind and demonstrated ongoing willingness to structure and execute financing to meet the requirements of their clients. So where does this leave ABL and what can ABL lenders bring to the table to deliver for private equity sponsors and their portfolio companies? I recently sat down with Graham Barber from PNC Business Credit, IGF's John Hughes, Jeremy Harrison at ABN AMRO Commercial Finance, Dave Edwards at FRP Advisory, Paul Craig at SIA Group, Stephen Chait at Wells Fargo Capital Finance, Mark Parsons at Shawbrook, and Martin Noakes at NatWest to discuss where ABL sits in the stack of options and what sponsor requirements it is best placed to deliver on. I first asked Dave Edwards, a debt advisor at FRP Advisory, what exactly sponsors want. Working in the sponsor environment is a very, very demanding exercise. They want to know that, you know, in simple terms, they're dealing with credible people who, you know, when the going gets tough, they will deliver. Um, you know, that there's certainty in that delivery, there's credibility around it, that, you know, that the deal is fair. Um, I think, you know, that, that there is more, again, there's more realism about pricing um, than there was, but ultimately sponsors will always want to maximise debt because debt, you know, is inherently cheaper than equity and gives them a better rate of return. So if you don't go far away from those principles, I think, you know, you've got a basis of understanding your market. Sponsors want capital. They don't, don't care necessarily what it's called. So what does that mean for lenders? And what from, should they take from that? Graham Barber from PNC Business Credit, followed by John Hughes from IGF. We as lenders have to know which deals we are relevant for and which, where, where we are relevant as a solution and stay where you're relevant and don't, don't try and do deals that aren't you because that's when your credibility erodes and that's when your, your ability to execute and deliver becomes harder because you're not relevant, you're not reliable and you're not repeatable. So to me, that, that's what the key, the key deliverability has to be is play where you, you're strong and don't play where you don't need to be. One of the things that comes through is that people want to minimise that execution risk. And I think that, you know, understanding what what we can do uh, and being clear about it and sort of using people like Dave and, and others to, 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 to make sure the language matches has been really helpful. Those sponsors have good experience. Uh, they see their deals working. And so they go and talk to somebody else and, you know, it, it, it builds. So are ABLs able to deliver at the pace private equity requires? Paul Craig from SIA Group explained how the changes to the due diligence process and the introduction of valuations advisors have helped to speed up execution. The whole process is a lot slicker because what you have now is typically you'd have a financial sponsor stroke corporate financier coming to us as, as, as the first port of call now, whereas now if we're going in, it's one report, but we're doing that report with companies management and the financial sponsor to understand nuances. And there's, if there's got questions, we or anything needs to be charged, we delay the process, it becomes protracted because if you've got a, each ABL putting a team of guards on site, what that's doing is you know, it's 
sucking up that management resource multiple times. So it's not, it's not, it's not a very effective and efficient way to get the transaction done. So we too, so getting us, un, getting us in early, you streamline the process. Uh, and what happened is the financial sponsor pick up on the nuances pretty quickly. So given all that background, where does ABL fit in? Where does it sit in the capital stack? And in what circumstances would sponsors be most likely to use it? We all know our sweet spots. I think we've developed very good relationships with the private equity community over the years. And I think they've, they've come to, to trust us and our, and our product. Um, and yes, I, I mean, I think we all know where we sit in the capital stack. You might have a debt fund behind you and then you've got the equity behind you and it's making sure that, you know, all stack works and it's, it's a sensible stack. Um, you know, that, that we, we, it's, it works for the PE fund, works for the debt fund, works for ourselves. So everybody's a winner. NatWest's Martin Noakes and IGF's John Hughes both pointed out that ABL was particularly useful in a volatile economic environment, such as we've experienced over the last 12 months. I think the, where the economy is now and where some other liquidity streams are not as uh, fluid, shall we say, as they have been historically, they are now, you know, debt advisors, MPE are looking to uh, ABL to help plug the gap where we're seeing, you know, um, many companies have unintended leverage points because their EBITDA has been, been hammered because of the, you know, because of the pandemic, right? So ABL has its place in these structures to be able to get, uh, to get, get these acquisitions away. I've certainly done more, more sponsored deals over the last, uh, uh, over the last year than I did the previous year and the previous year before that. Asset values are much more certain than than EBITDA is at the moment. You know, there's lots of there's lots of pretty asset rich businesses out there that are, that are um, still needing to refi and still needing to be bought, sold, and everything else. So I think that that stability, relative stability in what we lend against, is probably going to be one of the drivers for for a really good um, a good period. But do sponsors have a full understanding of what the ABL product can offer? Do they understand what it can deliver? Mark Parsons from Shawbrook Bank. That there are certain certain sponsors who completely get it and they're very comfortable with using it. Um, and yet there are still plenty of others who, who default straight to um, a, a Levfin structured finance solution because they see that as being the default, default move. And that's where it comes around to that point of, you know, particularly post-COVID, they'll be looking to deal with people that are able to demonstrate that experience, that knowledge, that ability to get things done. Um, and that's where we need to be better at basically explaining why ABL is, is, is an equal. Finally, Jeremy Harrison at ABN AMRO discussed how ABLs have been able to step in to deliver revolving credit facilities when working alongside credit funds. I think that banks, big banks, uh, just don't want to do RCFs anymore. They, they haven't for a long time. It, it's not capital effective for them to do it. They only do it because that's what the sponsor wants but as regulation increases for the, for those types of um, uh, products I do believe that um, ABL will, will step in its place I think it's proven that we, that, that we don't run for the hills as soon as things go wrong in any way uh, we're there we want to work the solution out the types of deals that we are doing are bigger and more complicated now so I do think that, that there's much more of an opportunity and and the market is growing